Welcome to The Dyad Presents, a video game music podcast. I'm The Dyad, and this week, we're going to sing, sing, sing. episode this week and it's going to be one that is a little out of my typical area of focus. Every track today is going to have vocals on it. That's right, we're going to sing our hearts out. And as usual, I've collected many more tracks than I can possibly hope to play in one episode. So good news for future sequels, I guess. Also, the astute listener may detect a theme in many of the tracks today. I think that there is a distinct 80s pop vibe in a few of the tracks. Um, Maybe that's just because of what we're listening to right now, though. Although, it should 
be maybe my latent preferences coming through. Anyway, kicking things off this week is a track from Double Dragon Neon, composed by VGM master Jake Kaufman with vocals by Jesse Seeley. Double Dragon Neon is the 2012 reboot of the Double Dragon franchise. The game keeps in step with the classic entries, sticking with a traditional beat-em-up style. It was developed by WayForward Technologies and published by Majesco Entertainment. While Double Dragon has become synonymous with the belt-scrolling beat-em-up genre, it originally spawned from an altogether different game. The progenitor is Technos Japan's 1986 arcade hit, Niketsu Koha Kunio-kun, or roughly translated, Hot-Blooded Tough Guy Kunio. Some advanced level video game nerds are probably familiar with Kunio-kun and his own series of games, but others may be more familiar with the Neketsu Koha localization as the game Renegade. The port ditched the Enter the Dragon inspired trappings of the original in favor of a post-apocalyptic street gang situation, clearly taken from the movie The Warriors. In 1987, Kunio-kun was ported to the Famicom as well. The same year also saw the release of the first Kunio-kun spin-off game, Neketsu Koko Dodgeball Boo, or, more familiarly, Super Dodgeball. Other subsequent localized Kunio-kun titles include River City Ransom, Crash and the Boys Street Challenge, and Nintendo World Cup. Each saw pretty significant changes for their North American release. Ultimately, Technos Japan released over 20 Kunio-kun titles in Japan. After the success of the original Kunio-kun, fans were clamoring for a sequel. In response, Technos Japan decided to go back to the well, but build off the original. I should mention that both Kunio-kun and Double Dragon are the brainchild of Yoshihisa Kishimoto. Apparently, each are inspired by his real-world antics. Um, I guess he was a bit of a hooligan. He was good at sports, and he liked to fight people. Basically, the villain in a John Hughes movie. When Technos Japan asked him to make a sequel, they also included the condition that it appeal more broadly to a Western audience. Kishimoto delivered with the massively popular Double Dragon. Over time, the rights to the Double Dragon intellectual property has changed hands. Sometime around 1996, Technos Japan declared bankruptcy, and shortly after, a licensing company called Million Company Limited was formed for one specific purpose, to buy up the rights to Technos' catalog. Million went on to churn out a handful of sequels on various Nintendo handhelds, but eventually they too were acquired. In June 2015, Arc System Works, the company best known for the game Guilty Gear, announced that they had acquired all intellectual properties of Technos Japan from Million Co. Limited. Which brings us back to Double Dragon Neon. It was the first game in the series developed by Arc System Works. Million had no involvement in the development whatsoever. Overall, I think it's a pretty cool revival effort, and obviously I dig the music. I'm interested to see what Ark does as the shepherd of the rest of Technos Japan's library, though. Moving on, we're heading to another system debut on the show. 
surprisingly, I made it seven months without dropping a PlayStation 2 track. And what's more surprising is that it's the only console in the PlayStation family that I actually own. This track is composed by Asuka Sakai and Natsuki Isaki, with vocals by Charles Kosei. From the game Katamari Damacy, this is K Sara Sara. gave some insight into how the artists were selected to work on the game. He said that since Katamari Damacy was originally only released in Japan 
We wanted Japanese singers who were well known in Japan, but nobody had heard from in a while for whatever reason. While he may have put a more gentle spin on it, essentially they picked up some talented but otherwise washed up musicians. It was a really interesting approach, and in my opinion, it paid off big time. As to why they made the unusual choice of including vocals, Miyake said that he wanted the game to have a fun and unique feeling. Another box successfully checked. Probably many of you are familiar with the soundtracks, and for good reason. The franchise gives a truly unique and wonderful listening experience. I mean, I guess the same could be said about the games themselves, too, just from a playing perspective. I could probably play every song on the soundtrack, and maybe give enough time I actually will, but I wanted to include K Sara Sara because I think it feels so different from everything else I picked for this episode. Also, if you don't know about the game itself, I highly recommend it. Even if you play it just to kind of goof around, it's totally worth the price of admission. For the uninitiated, the basic premise is that the king of the cosmos went on a drunken bender and destroyed all the stars in the sky. You play as the prince who has been tasked with essentially rebuilding the uh, interstellar landscape. To do this, you kind of like a dung beetle would push this big ball around which picks up objects and grows larger and larger. Uh, you start small with things like thumbtacks and coins, but by the end of the levels, you're um, pushing things and like picking up whole buildings and giant Godzilla-style monsters. At the end of every stage, you offer your Katamari to the king, and he'll either destroy it, turning it into dust, or accept it as a star if you've grown it big enough to his liking. Like I said, totally quirky, totally unique. It's really right up my alley, but I would recommend this to anybody. I think it has something to enjoy from hardcore gamers as well as super casual people. Next, we're moving on to something with a very different feel. In fact, it feels almost like cheating because there really isn't that much in the way of lyrics. I hope you like breakbeats. From the Sega Dreamcast, this particular track was composed by B.B. Wrights from the game Jet Set Radio. This is Funky Radio. Territory. Territory is a territory. Territory is a territory. Mm -hmm. 
let me take you on a trip and roll with me. With the brothers get their party on every day because we got to do that anyway. Hey, it's time to get on down to the funky, funky rhythm and the sound. Cause I gotta hit you up, big baby, and sock that woo like gravy. Yeah, bump that stuff in your trunk every day and let them big muscles know that we don't play. Hey, it's the phone coming through, hitting you every single day of the week. Yo, come on, come on, come on, come on. Jet Grind Radio. Jet Set is an action game, I guess. It's more like a vandalism simulator. In essence, it has the player control a member of a street gang as they rollerblade their way across Tokyo, spray painting graffiti at every turn. Well, inline skating anyway. I don't think that there was a license paid to use the rollerblades TM name. So, yeah. You play as a rowdy youth hooligan. I'm shaking my fist right now to really get that old man dyad point across. I'm mostly joking though. This game came out in 2000, which was right around the time I got my Dreamcast. Pretty much everyone I knew with the console played Jetsa. The game is possibly most notable as one of the pioneers of cell shading graphics. If not the first game to make use of it, it's arguably the most popular to do so. If you're having trouble picturing the style I'm talking about, a more modern example is the Borderlands franchise. I read an interesting article on the history of cell shading, or rather, the author made a point that I found particularly interesting. He posited that the early cartoon-style graphics of games like The Simpsons Arcade game Mickey's Magical Quest, and even Earthworm Jim laid the foundation for future cell shading games, and I can definitely see that. As for a more proper definition, cell shading is an animation technique where 3D objects are rendered to look two-dimensional, as if they're hand-drawn or like a cartoon or comic book. Cell, spelled with only a single L, takes its name from the first syllable of the word celluloid. Before digital software, pencil drawings used in animation were transferred into sheets of clear cellulose nitrate plastic by artists using ink and paint. Later cells were made of cellulose acetate instead of cellulose nitrate, but they were still called cells. Cell shading is an obvious nod to the early days of animation. Basically, it uses a non-photorealistic rendering to make a 3D model look like a hand-drawn animation cell when rendered. It achieves the effect by replacing gradients with flat colors and shadows. The end result is the paper-like effect of cell shading characteristic of the technique. 
Next, something utterly silly, and yet something I once and possibly still knew all the words to, at least my approximation of them. They're in Japanese, and I definitely didn't speak any Japanese as a middle schooler. I actually bet that my brother Graham and I could have a duet on this song right this minute. From the vastly underrated Nintendo 64 game, Mystical Ninja starring Goemon, composed by Shigeru Araki, Kato Yusuke, Saiko Miki, and Yasumasa Kitagawa, this track is called I Am Impact. Japan is Ganbare Goeban Neo Momoyama Bakufu no Odori, or Go For It Goeban, Dance of the Neo Peach Mountain Shogunate. The game was developed and published by Konami and released in 1997. The game is a 3D platformer, not too unlike Mario 64 or even Ocarina of Time. While I haven't revisited it recently, I recall that it stood up fairly well especially if you consider it's vintage. This is still in the era of 3D platforming infancy. Developers were really trying to figure out what worked and what didn't. I mean, let me be clear, I'm not saying that this is a masterpiece, but I have an unwavering fondness for it, and I'd sooner revisit this than, say, Goldeneye. Those old console FPS games are truly punishing to try and play today. And this is another game that's totally goofy and quirky, so I was sold right off the bat. The plot involves an outer space theater troupe that comes to turn Oedo Castle into a giant stage. And this song in particular is the theme to a giant fighting robot named Impact. Boss battles are fought in a sort of kaiju giant monster battle. The player controls Impact after Goemon blows a magical shell to summon him. 
I guess the bottom line is this. I can't say how well it's held up, but it's not terribly hard and probably pretty easy to find. Also, I love the equally silly title theme, so keep an eye out for that if I don't work it into another episode soon. Anyway, moving on to the next track. It comes from the spiritual successor to the classic adventure games in Days of Yore. On the PC, Xbox One, and PS4, from the game Thimbleweed Park, composed by Steve Kirk, this is No Quarter. I don't have a penny, I don't have a dime, I don't have a wristwatch, can't even spend time, I can't rent a VHS or buy an LP, my mood ring's gone dark since you've left me. I don't have a quarter to call you on the phone Since we've been apart And I don't have a quarter To play your silly games So I think about how things Will never be the same No Park is a point-and-click adventure game published and developed by Terrible Toy Box. More notably, the company was founded by genre luminaries Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick. If you don't recognize their names, you're probably not a fan of adventure games since they're responsible for utter classics like Maniac Mansion, The Secret of Monkey Island, and Day of the Tentacle. After a successful crowdfunding effort on Kickstarter, the game was released in March of 2017. They netted $626,000, well over their goal of $375,000. As a bit of dyad trivia, I first heard this track on another VGM podcast, Pixel Tunes Radio. It was played during their adventure game episode, which is number 80-something. I can't remember exactly which. Um, I liked it when I heard it, but I didn't really think any more of it. I just sort of filed it away. When I was later going through soundtracks for my Neo Retro episode, I went back and checked out the soundtrack. Uh, Ultimately, I didn't play it then, but because it had vocals, it was perfect to play today. Well, actually, about the vocals thing, um, something I should mention is I haven't actually played this game. Um, I'm not actually a huge adventure game player. I get pretty frustrated by the puzzles pretty easily. I have a pretty low tolerance for things that I consider to be um, BS, but that may very well have been a bygone trope. I haven't played a modern incarnation of the adventure game, and I guess if there was one to try, this may very well be it. But anyway, what I'm unclear on is um, I read a couple forum posts about an instrumental version of this song that might appear in the game. Also, I think the track might be called something different within the fiction of the game. 
The in-game version I saw listed as Tuna Head, which is a reference to a classic insult in the Gilbert universe. And it's performed by Razor and the Scumettes. From what I gather, another nod. In short, because I haven't played the game, I can't say with certainty whether the instrumental or vocal versions is actually in the game. The note quarter with lyrics supposedly appears on the actual soundtrack for the game, but, um, you know, they don't always have the actual in-game music on soundtracks anyway. I mean, I feel reasonably comfortable with it, so if I'm wrong, let me know. I mean, this is a rare invitation to correct an internet person, so go for it. Moving on, we're going to be headed to the PlayStation 1. Composed by Tomoki Ishizuka with vocals by Caleb James from the game Bust a Groove, this is Natural Playboy, Hero's Song. dance battle game which forces the player to use timed key presses to keep up with the beat. The game was published by Enix prior to their merger with Square and developed by Metro Graphics. It was released for the PlayStation in 1998. The original Japanese title was called Bust a Move, Dance and Rhythm Action, and here's where it gets a little pretzely. The game had to be changed for the US release because of the existence of the popular puzzle game Bust a Move. And, of course, in turn, Bust a Move goes by a different name in Japan. 
the much more appropriate puzzle bobble. In short, I guess we can thank Taito for this mess. Along with Parappa the Rappa, Buster Groove helped pave the way for the emerging rhythm game genre. But using the controller to display your moves is a bit easier than, uh, say, Dance Dance Revolution. Each of the characters in the game has their own specialty style of dance. For example, hip-hop, vogue, house, and in the case of Hero, 70s disco. The game is pretty fondly remembered, it seems. Uh, I read at least one heartfelt review calling it the best rhythm game of all time. Yeah, I'm not prepared to say that, but it's nice to know that it still has its diehard fans. And we're going to keep moving on. Next up is another pretty strange selection. It appears as a relatively short jingle in an arcade game, but it was actually written for a musical. How's that for intrigue? Well, I'm not going to drag it out any further because I can't think of a good way to do so. So, from the arcade version of Turtles in Time, originally composed by Bob Bijan and Godfrey Nelson, this is Pizza Power. Pizza Power! Mutant Ninja Turtles Coming Out of Their Shells Tour was an honest-to-god live musical tour that started its run in August 1990. And behold the splendor of corporate synergies, the whole shebang was endorsed and sponsored by Pizza Hut. The first showing of the tour was broadcast live on pay-per-view, but I was introduced to it after the fact via an official VHS release. There was also an official soundtrack. The show is widely and completely reasonably ravaged by critics. The costumes were awful and the plot was almost non-existent. For a second I was going to defend the costumes and say that they didn't look so bad as much as they moved really poorly, but then I remembered what Shredder looks like and I'm going to stick with my first statement. If I can find a picture, I'm going to put it on the blog, but I'm not sure how easy it is to grab one of those these days. The whole thing is just a kind of gross consumer's cash-in. It seems like an example of someone in marketing challenging kids to not buy something. Hey kid, I got the Ninja Turtles playing instruments and singing. They defeat Shredder with the power of rock and roll or something. I dare ya not to ask your mom for this date. Hey guys, it's me, the Dyad. Sorry I disappeared like a chameleon there. I'm still here. As a personal anecdote, I really only remember the title, We're Coming Out of Our Shells song, and I can probably still sing some of it to this day, but Pizza Power was probably the smash hit. Oh yeah, and uh, there was a video game too, I guess. Published and developed by Konami, Turtles in Time was released in arcades worldwide in 1991. In typical TMNT style, the soundtrack is rocking. I guess notwithstanding this silly track anyway. 
It's pretty enjoyable. It's a standard beat-em-up and it's in line with their previous efforts. Um, I have the SNES port, which is actually pretty faithful to the original. I don't know. I'm not really going to spend that much time talking about the game. Um, I covered the stuff that I wanted to, which is the goofy musical. Welcome to the Diane Presents. Talking about weird stuff I can tie to video games since 2017. Well, I think we need to go out with a bang. I had a few iconic songs picked to close out the show, but I think I maybe found a winner. A song and artist that are mm, notorious is probably the best word. Certainly the source of some differing opinions at the very least. I'll be playing the Sega Saturn port version of an arcade game, although it was a close call which one to pick. Essentially, they took the chip versions of the songs and turned them into real instruments. But before I go, as always, special thanks to Alan Euler, aka Periodical, for mixing and editing the show. You can follow me at thedietpresents.blogspot.com where I post the track list for the show. You can subscribe via any podcatcher, hopefully. If you notice one that I'm not showing up on, please let me know. You can rate the show and review it on iTunes if you're so inclined. I appreciate those who do. You can follow me on Twitter at The Diet, and you can email me at thedietpresents at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page and group that you can find by searching for my name. Well, The Diet, anyway. Until next time, from the Sega Saturn version of Daytona USA, composed and performed by the truly sincere and unique Takenobu Mitsuyoshi, this is Sky High.